Now reading from Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me remind you of how Jacob came to be camping by himself. This was not a vacation from the stress of work and home. This was not a spiritual retreat. This was escape. Jacob was running for his life. As far as he knew, he was alone, and anyone who knew him would be glad for that, because as they saw it, the world was better off without him. His parents, especially Rebecca, his mother, were the exceptions. Rebecca had not written him off, but to preserve his life had sent him She knew his brother Esau was planning revenge. He was going to kill Jacob because Jacob tricked him out of his birthright, then tricked his father to give him Esau's blessing. Ever since they shared the womb, Jacob had been supplanting firstborn Esau. Rebecca knew Esau's plans, and being as cunning as her son, she convinced Isaac, their father, her husband, that she could not abide another Hittite woman in the house. Isaac needed to send Jacob to Haran to find a suitable wife, which, by the way, would be a clever way of keeping the two sons apart. So there's Jacob. Out in the wilderness, somehow safer among wild animals and rogue people than he was in his own home. 
Can you imagine being that alone? Coming off our backpacking trip, I've picked up an old book. It has been a good pleasure to me, even though I'm just barely into it. It's a book called A Walk in the Woods, and the author, Bill Bryson, is setting up where I am at this point in the book, the adventure he's about to embark on, one for which he is ill-prepared. He describes how in the winter before he leaves for this attempt to hike the entire 2,164.9 miles of the Appalachian Trail, that he read field guides. One was called Bear Attacks, Their Causes and Avoidance. The guide notes that there had not been a fatal bear attack in New Hampshire in over 200 years, and there had never been one in Vermont. Usually, it claims, a black bear will only cause light, a few scratches and give light bites. Bryson asks, when it comes to a bear bite, what is light? He also notes how foolish must one be to be reassured that no bear has killed someone in Vermont or New Hampshire in 200 years. That's not because the bears have signed a treaty, you know. He was relieved when he realized he would not have to hike the whole trail by himself. It can be lonely out there. It can be lonely in here. Be the last one in this place some night, and you'll know. It can be lonely in your own home. From time to time, I'm the only one in our home at night. It's better now that we have a dog, but even then, there are sounds that can't be blamed on him or me or some device. Creaks that sound ominous at night. We're always a little more tense when we're by ourselves. Jacob felt that he was by himself. But even so, he was looking over his shoulder, though not for bears. Bears don't stalk you, they come across you. He was looking over his brother who was motivated by revenge. Imagine that loneliness. No flashlight. No cell phone, not even a shelter. All sorts of noises while you lie there, both alone and on the run. Exhausted, Jacob pulls a stone up for a pillow and falls asleep. It's a restless sleep. The kind that comes when you have too much on your mind, too many unsettled issues in your life, the kind when your body is exhausted but your brain is in hyperdrive. That happens to me occasionally. And I get so frustrated when it does. Because I know that I need to sleep in order to deal effectively with whatever it is that's on my mind. And so I get upset with myself. Why am I not falling asleep? I need to sleep. Which only keeps me up longer. It's a good time to pray. God, I need some sleep. But also, God, I can't handle this whatever that's on my mind. I need your guidance. I need your help. I give it over to you. Jacob may have prayed that prayer while he lay there. Somehow I don't think so. 
theology of that time was that God blessed the good and cursed the bad. Jacob hadn't exactly been good. And he might have feared invoking God's presence. Worse than Esau chasing him would have been God catching him. Better to flee them all. In other words, Jacob wasn't out on the trail seeking a religious experience. But it turns out, we don't have to be seeking God or acting good in order for God to show up. How does the psalmist put it? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. Alone in the wilderness, on the run, sleeping on a rock, afraid for his life and of God's judgment, the Lord shows up and promises Jacob the very things that God had promised his father and his grandfather, land, offspring, and that God will be with him. Walter Brueggemann characterizes it this way, that God gives a threefold promise, presence, action, and homecoming. I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you home. Can you imagine more comforting words to those who think they are alone, who think they are unwanted, who think they are endangered, and who think they can never return home? It changes Jacob's life. Not that Jacob is perfect from then on, but that Jacob now understands that God has been with him, even when he did not realize it, that the Lord is his God. If we were to read the rest of Jacob's story, including the familiar one about Jacob wrestling with God, that story when God renames Jacob Israel, which means driven with wrestles with God, we would realize that the struggle continues. And if you know the people Israel's story, you realize that wrestling with God is as much as God, about being God's opponent as it is about being God's teammate. Jacob is not perfect after his dream. He has ongoing struggles with his father-in-law. He has preferences among his sons. Even right after his dream, there's a sense in which he is putting God to the test. It's not a perfect Jacob that God chooses to accompany. It's a flawed Jacob that God promises to be with despite his flaws. On that lonely night when Jacob realized God's presence, he also saw angels ascending and descending on what looks to him to be a ladder. This bridging between heaven and earth. It was in seeing the angels coming down and going up that Jacob recognized something holy was happening. 
Their presence was an introduction to God's presence. If you read the music note for today, the one that's on the bottom of the order of worship, you know that in September of 2001, the author of the anthem we'll soon hear had taken a choir to Manhattan. They were there to offer the gift of music to the firefighters who were most affected by the 9-11 events. The choir opened with, O oh, beautiful for spacious skies. And a composer, who was also the conductor that day, saw firemen pause midway down the ladder, the staircase, as they sang. That fireman was the captain of the station in the North Tower, and he somehow survived the 9-11 attack. And now, as he listened to the song, while standing on the stairs between one level and another, he wept. The composer witnessed the fireman one day, and the next was back leading the choir in their church, a day in which the lectionary called for the Jacob's Ladder story to be read. This story about a dream when Jacob learned the Lord was with him, where the angels connected one level to the other. The combination of those events inspired him to write the anthem we'll hear. The questions that arise when an attack occurs or a natural disaster hits or some tragedy interrupts our personal lives are where is God? Does God know? Does God care? Did God cause this? It's all the reporters can think to ask. And those who think God causes everything that happens either proclaim that God caused it for some reason, some purpose we don't yet understand, or that God is too malicious to be trusted. But for those who think God gives guidance, provision, and free will, the conversation is different. It's obvious where God is. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I've cheated my brother and tricked my father and am on the run, you are there. If I've made peace with my brother and with you, my God, you are there. If I've gone to work on a day that seems like any other and then find myself pulling bodies out of rubble, you are there. If I go to sing the only balm I know how to offer, oh Lord, you are there. The question for 9-11 and Sandy Hook and Charleston and San Bernardino and Orlando, and Louisiana, and Minnesota, and Dallas, and Syria, and Iraq, and France, and Belgium, and Nigeria, and everywhere else these horrible events occur is not, where is God? God is there. There with the hurting. There with the grieving. There with the responding. The question is always, how will we be there for God? And how will we be for God in ways that there are less 
theirs. Thank God for those who are at work doing just that.